Hello, and welcome to the Without Exception podcast. My name is Josiah Ott, and on this podcast, I seek to share practical content for everyday Christians. My hope is that I can help you live out your faith each day without exception. Thank you for tuning in today. I appreciate you listening. This is episode number 13, and I'm going to be discussing the idea of grace, starting a conversation on the idea of grace that will likely last a few episodes. Now, this first episode is going to be titled The Frame of Grace, and I'm going to get to that in a minute and what exactly that means. But I want to open first with uh, two verses from John chapter 1. It's verses 16 and 17. And it says this about Jesus. It says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Now, that verse in the Passion Translation actually says grace heaped upon more grace. I like that. It's a grace on top of grace. And the 17th verse there says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So grace is a topic throughout the New Testament that is very, very important, and it comes through Jesus, and it's something that is at work in our lives today. Grace it comes from the word haris, which means grace, favor, a gift. It's God's unmerited favor. It's the things in our lives that we don't deserve, that God has done for us. There's a famous acronym uh, that grace stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. Obviously, I didn't come up with that, but I think it's a helpful helpful idea to realize. The word grace is used over 150 times in the New Testament. It's used frequently in the book of Romans and the book of Acts, and it's used by almost all biblical authors, not all, but a lot of the New Testament authors, including Paul, John, Luke, Peter, James, and Jude. And so the topic of grace is clearly important if it's something that is seen so frequently in the New Testament and also is something that's supposed to be working in our lives today. So that's what we want to go over and kind of dive into what it means. And then we'll go through some examples and and different things in the following episodes. But as I said, this week, we are going to be talking about the frame of grace. And so when I was thinking about this topic of of grace, one of the best illustrations I could come up with for one of the purposes of our lives regarding grace is that we are almost like a picture frame for the grace of God. So if you think about what a frame is, if you see a frame on a wall with a picture in it or a painting or maybe even a diploma or some sort of, you know, certificate or something along those lines, the whole purpose of the frame is to display something that is greater than itself. It displays, it presents, brings focus and attention to something that is greater than itself. And it might be something more beautiful. It might be a beautiful painting. It might be a beautiful picture, or it might be just something great in the diploma or the certificate that represents a great accomplishment. But the frame itself is not what is significant. If you look at a wall and you see this frame, no matter how nice the frame is or how basic it is, the purpose doesn't change. The purpose of the frame is merely to be a container for this thing that is greater. Now, some frames might have a couple pictures in them or whatever, but the whole concept is they have one purpose. And similarly, we have the same purpose of displaying the grace of God that has been at work in our lives to the world. Now, you might be a nice frame, or you might feel that you're a very basic, cheap frame, but that's irrelevant. The important thing is what's within the frame. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how nice it is. It doesn't matter how expensive it was. They all fulfill the same role. And so no matter how 
how your life has turned out or how you might feel that, that you are is, is a frame. You might feel like a broken frame at times, but as long as you can still be a container for God's grace and display that to the world, that's really what is, is the most important. And I like to think that, you know, grace is at work a lot more than we probably realize. There's this temptation, I think, at times to think that maybe we're doing a lot of things on our own and we're doing things in our own strength, and maybe we take credit for things that really God is the one doing. I think that it could be a temptation to ignore God's working in our lives, or maybe not even ignore it, maybe just not even realize that it's there, because you've never really taken account of what God has done in you. And so it's one of those things, I know many things in life, you don't really know what it's like until it's gone, or you don't really appreciate something until it's gone. And then when it's gone, all of a sudden you realize how much you really needed that thing or how much you really appreciated it. And I think if if we were ever capable of, of losing the grace of God in that way, I, I really think that we would feel the same way. We're like, man, we did not realize how much his grace affected our day-to-day lives until it was gone. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his famous book, Mere Christianity, at one point, I'm going to paraphrase, I haven't, I haven't read it in a while, but he basically outlines this idea, and, and I think it's really cool, where he talks about, you know, people would say, well, they're a Christian and they're not very nice, and then you have somebody that's not a Christian that's very nice, or something along these lines, and doesn't that sort of disprove Christianity? Because you have somebody who's supposedly born again and saved, and, and they're serving Jesus, and, and they're kind of an unpleasant individual, and then you have people that, you know, that aren't but they're much, much nicer to be around. But C.S. Lewis kind of counters and says, you know, the real question is not, you know, who's nicer or who's better or or whatever along these lines. The real question is, how much worse would the unpleasant Christian be without Christ? Or how much nicer would be the nice person with Christ? It's not a matter of, you know, of, of which one it is. It's a matter of the extremes. And it's likely because everybody has different temperaments. We all have different demeanors. Some people are naturally more melancholy. Some people are naturally more, you know, joyous or whatever. So if somebody is naturally joyous, it doesn't disprove Christ and the melancholy person. But imagine how much more joyous the the person who is naturally joyous would be if they had Christ in their lives. And I think that's a helpful illustration to look at grace and realize that grace, you know, it might not have the same effect in everybody's life as far as the extent that it makes a person behave a certain way, but you'll still see the impact in somebody's life. And the whole idea of grace as well as a picture frame is, you know, first he's working in our lives, but then we want to be able to display it to other people. Other people should be able to see as you grow in Christ that this person is not the person they used to be. But something I like to add to that, a lot of times I I feel that people can go and they can justify sin. They could be like, well, I'm never going to be perfect. So it doesn't, doesn't matter. Why do I try? You know, and people kind of get in this, in this funk and they get into, you know, oh, well, you know, we're all just sinners saved by grace. So who really cares? But I like to think that the story of grace, as I said a second ago, it's that I'm not the man that I used to be, but I'm also not the man that I'm going to be. So I might not be perfect today. I'm far from perfect. In fact, But I'm a lot closer to perfect than I was a few years ago because God's grace has been working in my life. And I would hope that after another five years of serving Jesus Christ, that I am closer to perfect than I am today. I hope that after five more years with Jesus, that I'm a better husband than I am today, a better father than I am today. 
a better better friend than I am today. I, I would hope that I would continue to grow in his grace and that his grace would work in my life in such a way that I, he would be evidenced in my life. So I'm not the man I used to be, but I'm also not the man that I'm going to be. And that works for women too, obviously. You know, I think that's an important attitude to have about grace is to not stay stuck with, you know, an imperfect self and just justify sin, but to also also be able to realistically acknowledge that we're not perfect, but we're we're growing. So I want to read one section of, of scripture in the New Testament here in a minute that really, I believe, uh, ties into this, but I want to give some background first. So I'm going to be reading a story about Jesus and something that he shared in the New Testament, but some background comes from Numbers chapter 21. And this is the story of Moses and the bronze or the fiery serpents. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but if you haven't, I'm going to go ahead and read it, it to you. So the people essentially complained um, again. So all throughout the book of Numbers, you see that the nation of Israel, they were following after Moses as their leader. They were en route to the promised land. They had left Egypt where they were slaves. And along the way, they continually complain because all of God's provision is not good enough. And in Numbers 21, 5 says, the people spoke against Moses and against God. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. I think it's ironic that they had food and they say, well, there's no food and there's no water. And then they say, well, there is food, but it's, but it's worthless and we hate it. It's really um, a bad response to the provision of God. And then verse six says, then the Lord sent fiery or bronze serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. Then the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he might take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who's bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and he set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and he would live. Now we see in this text that the people are to look to the serpent essentially by faith. If you told me, to, to do that, it would seem kind of weird. But, you know, if you think about it, anybody who is sick enough will try just about anything. If you, Desperation, you know, I think people have said is like, is the creator of, of or it, it drives creativity. Or there's some, there's some saying along those lines. I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. You probably know. And so, the, the but the serpent was literally physically lifted up. The serpent was placed on a pole so that the people could all look up and see the serpent on the pole. And then by faith in the word that God had spoken about them being healed, as they looked to the serpent, they would be, they would be healed. And so in the new Testament, we see that Jesus talks about being lifted up and he compares it to this same exact story. In John chapter three, verse 14, uh, Jesus said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So clearly here, Jesus is referring to his death on the cross. Moses lifted up a serpent on a pole so that people could look to it for salvation. And as a type of Christ, and in the New Testament here, we see that he said the Son of Man referring to himself, he must literally be physically lifted up from the ground on a pole or the cross, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And that's all due to his death on Calvary's cross, looking to him and receiving eternal life. And in the main text, Jesus talks again about being lifted up. In John chapter 12, 
starting in verse 27, he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Then he says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered, and others said an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Verse 33, very important. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. When you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Now, I have heard countless times, I would say, the verse of Jesus being lifted up taken brutally out of context. I'm somebody, I'm a as much as I can be, I'm a stickler for taking the Bible for what it means. And I believe that there was an original author and there was the author had an intent for what the message they were trying to communicate. And I think it is dishonest and, and wrong, frankly, to take verses out of context and manipulate them. Now, most people do this by accident, but this is one of the worst and most egregious um, examples I see all the time. So Jesus here in verse 33 says, or verse 32 said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And then verse 33, immediately afterwards, again, the importance of context here, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And then again, as I mentioned a few minutes ago in John chapter three, he talked about being lifted up. The language of lifted up when Jesus spoke, it was literally talking about being physically lifted up from the earth and placed on a cross to die. And his death on the cross would draw people to him. The Holy Spirit would draw people to him as the good news of salvation that you can be saved by grace through faith. It's not our, our own doing. We can't achieve it. We can't get to it by works. But this is such an important example of why literary context is so important. Because what I always hear, and I've heard this from countless people in many different services, oh, it just and it drives me crazy. And I try not to be arrogant and I don't ever tell people, but hopefully this... Um, This podcast will be heard by somebody that does this all the time, and then they'll take it and actually apply it correctly. They'll say something to the effect of, well, Jesus said as he is lifted up, you know, he'll draw people to us. So as we gather this morning in our church service, let's lift Jesus up in worship and people will be saved as we worship him. And, And I'm just sitting there thinking, where in the world did you pull this from? Because, well, because Jesus said if if he's lifted up, then he'll draw all men to himself. And so we take this and then we we make it into some weird, you know, analogy of how your worship is is almost a form of evangelism. And then, you know, as you're faithful to worship, God will be faithful to draw people to himself. And it's like, no, that is that is the furthest thing from what this is talking about. And I think there's always a temptation in the in the world today for Christians to try to overly involve ourselves in things that aren't really our own responsibility. Like, yes, we're supposed to spread the gospel, but it's not, we don't draw people. And our act of obedience in worship is not going to draw people to salvation. Like, 
that's not what this verse is talking about. It might, I mean, there might be a connection there, but in, in the, in the world, like it, there might be a time when somebody sees somebody worshiping and, and then that kind of, you know, works in, in them in a way and almost like a testimony would, but that's not what this verse is talking about. And I'm, I'm hoping actually in a uh, future weeks to do a, a series here on the podcast called becoming a Berean and discussing the importance of studying your own Bible and knowing what it says, because people take stuff out of context because it'll preach good or because they just don't read the whole chapter. I mean, and there's, and then what happens is somebody takes something out of context and they share it or they share it in a prayer. And then somebody else is like, man, that was good. I'm going to take it and share it and put it in prayers and I'll make a whole message out of it, you know, all this stuff. And then nobody's ever read the whole chapter. And I mean, in this one, it's crazy because literally all you have to do is read two verses. If you read the following verse to the one that is always taken out of context, it specifically says that Jesus was talking about how he was going to die, which obviously lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness, lifted up, referring to the death he was going to die. It means that he was going to be physically lifted up from the earth and placed on a cross to die for your sins. And through his death on the cross, then he will be drawing people to himself. It's not speaking of your worship. But the whole idea of context is so important. I, a, a funny story. So my daughter, she's got a, a little kid's like play piano thing where like it, it sings little songs and everything. And, and context just gives so much, it, it gives so much depth to stuff because it actually explains like what it is. And it'll, you'll understand things a whole lot better if you read like the whole thing in context, the whole, you know, pericope, that whole section, or even the whole chapter or, you know, even more than one chapter, a lot of times the, um, the book on hermeneutics, which is the process of studying the Bible that I had to read is, is a student said that you should really read like three chapters. You should read the chapter before what you're reading, the chapter that you're reading and the chapter afterwards to get a good idea. Like bare minimum is what they had said, which, and then you got people that won't even read the following verse and just regurgitate things they've always heard. But my daughter's got this piano and it's a zebra piano. So zebras kind of look like pianos because they're black and white. And I never, I never made the connection, ironically enough. But it sings this song that says, zebras are black and white, zebras are black and white. All our stripes make us alike, zebras are black and white. And it's just a catchy little song. And I never, like, I never had a clue what this song was talking about. I was like, what in the world is this piano singing? Because I never knew it was, I never knew it was a zebra. And so it, like, the the concept of zebras and stripes, like, I couldn't, it's it's not the highest quality recording. So I, I couldn't quite understand what zebra was, you know, like it was, it was a little fuzzy. And then the stripes, and I'm like, I don't, what in the world is this song talking about? And the first time I, like, I literally looked at this piano and I was like, oh, duh. It's a zebra piano. Like zebras are black and white. Okay, all our stripes. Yep, zebras have stripes. And my wife kind of laughed at me. She's like, "How did you not?" I was like, "I never looked at it. I don't know." But like, think about that. Just a very basic understanding of context. I'm looking at a zebra, and it's like, "Oh yeah." F- suddenly, you know, there was this word that I was struggling to make out in like all these songs, and it was zebra in literally like every songs, you know. And I'm just like, I can't believe I didn't draw the connection sooner. But it's the importance of of looking at the context. Like it's a zebra piano, you know. As I said, Jesus being lifted up, why does that draw men? Well, it's the whole idea of grace. It's this this fact that we get things that we don't deserve. Salvation is a free gift. It's the, that whole the message of the cross, knowing that Jesus went to the cross for me. He went to the cross for you while we were still sinners, by the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. So if we really want to participate in bringing people in, it's not lifting up Jesus in worship necessarily, 
but showing other people the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, as he went to the cross for me, for you, and for them. If you want to participate, that's the whole idea of evangelism and sharing the message of the gospel is the fact that it is good news and it's good news for sinners because we don't have to make our way into heaven. And then it is through his death being lifted up on the cross and the subsequent messaging of that cross that the Holy Spirit will draw people to salvation. It takes our obedience to be able to share the message, but it's not our obedience to worship and lift Jesus high in song that then he'll be drawing people. That's not the the takeaway here. It, it's all about the message of the cross. And the, th- and the difference here is if we make it about us worshiping, then it really becomes kind of about us. But if we make it about Jesus' death on the cross, it's all about him. And it takes our eyes off of ourselves. Again, I, I started to quote earlier, Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works that no one may boast. And verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is all about God. It's his grace. It's it's his salvation that he gives as a free gift to us. It's not our works. Our works will never be able to get there. It is only through him. And then we are his workmanship. So literally we are his creation and he has a purpose for, for us that he prepared beforehand, but we have to first be saved and experience that gift of salvation to have his purpose redeemed in our lives. And so that the fall is not, not corrupting that. But again, it's not about us. It's not about, oh, my purpose and my destiny. And I need to to worship Jesus to do this, all this. It's like, no, it's all about him and his grace toward us. And we should be able to see that grace manifested in our lives. Uh, Grace, it can be many things, but essentially it can be summed up in everything good in your life that you didn't deserve from God. There's countless uh, different examples in scripture of what grace is, but we just need to remember that we didn't deserve it and that it came through Jesus Christ, as, as John chapter one said, and it came through his death specifically on the cross as he was lifted up on behalf of our sins. So we got to take that into consideration. Remember that salvation is a gift. If you think about it in Romans uh, 6, 23, the, the Bible says that the wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So in a lifestyle of sin, apart from Christ, you work in your wages. Your payment for the life of sin is death, but God offers by his grace, this free gift of eternal life. And then Romans 2, 4 essentially explains that it's God's kindness, his goodness, that is meant to draw people to repentance. God's kindness and his mercy and his grace has not to become a license to sin, knowing that he'll forgive us. It's supposed to draw us closer to him, bring us back to him in repentance. And so that is the grace that we see at the cross. And that is what it means for Jesus to be lifted up. So for Jesus to be lifted up in my life, I need to look and see, okay, he died for me. His grace has been poured out for me. It's all about him and his grace toward me as a recipient of that that beautiful gift. And I can share about that grace with other people and acknowledge that there's many things in life that I might be able to accomplish, but I can only do them through God's grace. And it's not my own doing. And as people will see more and more what God is doing in your life, again, remember that story of grace that I'm not the man I used to be, but I'm also not the man 
that I'm going to be, is people could see God working that in your life and continuing to conform you into the image of his son. And that, and that the whole tying back into the idea that, that his death on the cross, that's what it meant for him to be lifted up. And if we can take that message and share it with other people, that is how Jesus will have people drawn to him through the Holy Spirit. But again, it's not all about us. It's about him. So with that, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Without Exception podcast. I pray that this episode has been edifying to you and that it is something you can put into practice in your own life. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe and share it with others. If you were listening on Apple, I would love it if you would leave a review. It helps with the exposure of the show. That said, I pray you have an awesome week and until I see you next time, let's live out our faith each day without exception.